My name is Megan. I won't tell you my last name, though you can probably guess it from my Twitter handle. Everybody else seems to be updating their intros, so I felt like I should also update mine. back to Minds at Yerk. I'm Megan. I'm Alex. And I'm Tim. How you doing, boys? Pretty good. I... Wait, when does this episode come out? This episode comes out next week, right? Yes. Uh, yes. I don't even know what day it is now. It is currently so... Tuesday. It is Trivia Tuesday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Today is Tuesday. If all goes according to plan... Uh, tomorrow I am interviewing Travis McElroy for Panelology, <laughs> so I'm pretty fucking good, and that episode should be out already. Do you want to, like, record an alternate just in case? <laughs> I'm pretty good. <laughs> there. Thank you. Thank you. I've got <laughs> two takes. We'll let everyone stop laughing so you've got a clean edit either <laughs> No, way. it's fine. I'm probably going to leave both in if it turns out. <laughs> Uh, it is Tuesday. My favorite thing that my governor does is that every Saturday, apparently on like one, have I told you guys this? No. Probably. No. One of his uh, daily press talks was on a Saturday and on his big like PowerPoint that he does behind him, he put this is today is Saturday. And so every Saturday, someone on his team, because I really doubt he does his own social media, posts that picture and I know when it's Saturday. And it's wonderful. <laughs> I forget which podcast I've actually said this on. It may have been this one, actually, but it bears repeating. Most of the reason I ever know what day it is now is because the first time I boot up Animal Crossing each morning, it tells me. <laughs> Surprisingly not in my stress-stopping cart yeah. at the moment. And I am far enough in that game where that process normally looks like Isabel reading a magazine, looking it up in a oh, I didn't see you there, kind of way, and saying, yep, it's Tuesday, no <laughs> news, got a new magazine, that's cool, have a good day. That sounds horrific. I feel seen. Well, we read an Animorphs book this week. We, we did. Read... did. Okay, I'm glad you guys confirmed that, because, yes. you know, <laughs> one of these weeks, maybe we didn't, uh... We are on book 41, The Familiar. Yes. Tim, did you have time to write us a summary? I did. Book 41. The Animorphs are in a fight. It goes bad and they run. Marco and Rachel fight about it. Tobias is off somewhere and Cassie is upset. Jake needs to rest, so he goes home. He wakes up old. Jake finds himself in a future after the Yerks have won the war. He leaves what appears to be his home and is chased by yurks and taxons and even creatures he's never seen before until he finds himself on the lower levels of society. He sees a familiar face when he helps Cassie fight off some taxons. Cassie is a controller with a rebel yurk named Nis and works with the EF or Evolutionist Front. 
Visser 3 leads the council now. Marco is Visser 2. Rachel is dead and acts as a controller. Tobias has escaped. And the Andalite homeworld was taken over. Jake goes to work and freaks out. He's arrested by his dad. He's taken to Visser 2, or 3, whatever Marco is. Cassie is brought in, but she doesn't want Jake to help her. He's gonna try anyway. Jake has to go back to work. Jake finds not-dead Rachel. She sends him to the library. On the way, he meets some of the EF. At the library, he sees... Elfangor? Only it's not Elfangor, it's Tobias. Tobias says Jake can either save Cassie, or he can stop the Yerks from making the moon into a Candrona sun. Cassie and Jake are battling Marco in the last few seconds when Jake wakes up and checks on Cassie. Now, I would like to hereby move that we canonically refer to future Yerk Cassie, the revolutionary fighting oppressive power structures, by a uh, portmanteau of the first half of her name and the name of the Yerk in her head, and call her Castness. <laughs> uh, you know what? I like it. I'm a fan. I'd- no idea where you were going with that, and suddenly yeah, you said a b- bunch of words, and I was like, oh, either this is going to be a good acronym, or Alex is really, really bored. Yeah. <laughs> Which one was it, do you think? <laughs> uh, no idea. No I like, idea. Yeah. I like Sounds right. Speaking of, today the new Hunger Games book came out, and man, I just am so angry at the price of that book. Uh, but that's fine. I'll rant about that later. I mean, while we're on the subject, do we want to picture future Marco with, like, a white beard? He's 25. They're 25. (laughs) I mean, look, some of us gray early. Yeah, I started gray at 16, which is also something we've talked about this week. Still. (laughs) Yeah, also, yeah, Tim. Tim's like, Jake is old. I'm like, Jake is younger (laughs) than than all of us. us. Um, I mean, it was a given he was going to be younger than Tim. But. Ouch. That's right. Ouch. <laughs> That's what you I've get been sitting the here eldest. this whole time trying to do something with Everdeen. Uh, did the Hunger Games, I never like read the books or saw like anything past the first movie. Did, did that not resolve? Did they need another book? It is a prequel. I mean, I can. Okay. First of all, Hunger Games is one of my favorite series. I think it is incredibly well done. And I am one of the few people who also really likes the third book, which is apparently controversial. Um, I, when they announced this prequel, in my mind, I was like, oh, Suzanne Collins was like, you assholes did not pay attention when I was like, this is the future we're heading towards. Please stop. And then you elected Trump. So I'm going to give you a prequel. And all of us were like, oh, thank God. Do you know how many people there are in these books that we would love to get their their own Hunger Games story? Fucking President Snow. That's who the book's about. Prequels are as necessary as billionaires are ethical. Given that it's about President Snow, still applicable. And I'm angry. And also, YA books are under 20 bucks for hard uh, hardcovers. Like... Not why I read YA, but that's why I buy more YA books and hardcover than I do adult books, which tend to be around 30 bucks. This book is fucking 30 bucks. That's because at this point, its target market is adults, not kids. It doesn't matter. It's still a teen book. It should be 20 bucks. When I went to look at the Kindle copy today, it should have only been 10 bucks, not 18. 
see previous comment about prequels and billionaires. It should not be more expensive for the hardback than the audiobook. I'm just really, really annoyed by this today. Anyways, highly recommend if you haven't read Hunger Games, Tim, you should read Hunger Games, Tim. Was President Snow Donald Sutherland? Yes. Okay. I don't think I... white hair and beard. Yeah, I didn't... I never once looked at Donald Sutherland in those movies and like, hmm, I wonder how he got here. Mm, No, we know how he got there. By poisoning and killing people, they literally say so in the books. Oh, no, I didn't know that because I didn't read the book. I mean, I think it's also mentioned in like the second or third. Yeah, Stephanie and I just actually did Hunger Games last year. She hadn't read it. And Suzanne Collins is from Stephanie's home state or not home state, the state she was living at at the time or... No, it wasn't even that. Anyways, it was this... it was tangentially related <laughs> to Stephanie. So we read Hunger Games. They found a reason. We yeah. usually do. <laughs> uh, so Animorphs uh, 41, the familiar, who expected time travel this quickly. It was or, a dream. Uh, it doesn't... It doesn't alternate happen. dimensions. It was not a fucking dream. It, it was... Whatever it happened, it happened in Jake's head. Nothing. Or it happened in an alternate timeline that his consciousness was transported to and then it returned, a la Days of Future Past, the X-Men book this is clearly an homage to. <laughs> See, I thought it was more of an homage to, like, the cyberpunk uh, apocalyptic movies of the 90s. Like, that was I mean, definitely the vibe was, of the 90s. I was pulling my thing out of my ass, but that's fine. I mean, your thing's not necessarily wrong. <clears throat> How did you guys like this one? I thought it was really good up until the end. I really liked it, including the end. Eh, it's not my favorite. It's not my least favorite. It's fine. Here is why I ask. This was another ghostwritten one. Mm-hmm. Ghostwritten by Ellen Giraud. We have read one other by her already. The Tobias Torture book. Oh, see. Uh, okay. That explains why the t- Tobias and- Torture got mentioned. And with 13 main series books remaining, three more that we have yet to read. I, this, this author does not, does not hold back. No, it's not, I would argue this is one of my top five, probably. I, That's good. I, had, it, had it not ended the way it did, I probably would have said the same thing. I mean, that ending is clearly a hook for things yet to come, though, right? I hope so. With the the voice that he didn't recognize. The disembodied voice? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I hope that pays off in some way. But um... Um, (laughs) I know I I don't give spoilers, but I actually don't think it does. Uh, We'll see. I could be wrong. We'll hope it does. But I'm like 90% sure that shit does not pay off. You know what, though? It, like, had everything been the same, but had they left it in a manner where it was some disembodied voice viewing an actual alternate timeline? Like, had Jake not gone to sleep and then arrived there and then woken up? Had if you this were that? one of the... If this were one of the Magic Tavern episodes where Space High Command yes. tunes into, like, western yes magic tavern yes it, it would have been much more agreeable to me as a story but like in terms of reading it in terms of following the story i very much enjoyed it because you know i have like like 
this huge fascination with alternate realities and alternate timelines. <laughs> so it's like right up my alley. And I think that's why I felt kind of cheated at the end when I was like, and then Jake woke up and I was like, no, he no. did wake up. They took him while he was asleep. No, he did wake up because it all took place in his head. There it was did no not actual, take all, no, This it was did not, not an actual no. alternate timeline. Yes, it was. No, this was some viewpoint. I, I mean, Tim, I'm going to yeah, write but, a note for when we get to the end of the series and talk about this book again. Man, our last episode is going to be so hella long. But I'm <laughs> telling you, I don't think this is all in his head. I, I, I hope Per that. string theory, it cannot all be in his head. Once he has imagined it, it is real. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> My biggest no, complaint is I, just the fact it that it seems it's... like it is a world completely manufactured out of Jake's guilt. And this disembodied voice is just viewing this, like, nightmare world that Jake has created mm. through his guilt. Then why New York? I don't know. Why like not They're New clearly York? not in New York City. Why New York City? Why not know. his hometown that seems to be the center of this invasion. You're asking me why Jake's guilt I'm, took him to New York? I can't answer that question. I your, am not a psychiatrist. Does your guilt take you to different places? Does your guilt yes. take you to New York? It takes me to a small farm town in Canada. Okay. I thought you were going to say Kansas for a second. <laughs> I thought you were I thought you were going to go a wildly different direction <laughs> with this. Oh. I think I would have liked this more if we hadn't just done an alternate universe book. That is its biggest weakness, especially as similar as like the beginning of this is. Yes. The end media res, terrible fight. Although, gotta say, as far as like high stakes fights go, I think this is one of the best written battles this series has. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And the same thing now that you point out who the author was. And what else was written by that person? Just uh, L- L- uh, I know that Ellen Juro. Thank you. Is not afraid to bring the pain is what I'll say in these books. Yeah, I actually found a quote from Applegate about Ellen Juro. Oh yeah. Um, it was from an AMA. The nice thing about getting closer to the end of this is I can be a little <laughs> less afraid of spoilers. Uh, Alex, just don't be afraid of spoilers so I can rant at you. Um, she was asked about ghostwriting and why books were ghostwritten and all of that. And she says, you know, around the time that our child was born, we basically became shut-ins because another family member had... Uh, had to deal with the case of SIDS in their child. Oh. And, like, we did not leave the house. We stayed there. She says, we finally hired this woman named Ellen Giroux to, like, go bring us cookies and things. And she wound up being one of our best ghosts. Ah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a fun story. Like, yeah. So it sounds like kind of she's the one who actually had a relationship with them. Yeah. And that would explain why hers are a little bit more. Yeah. uh, And why she wrote so many. There aren't any others who wrote five of them, are there? No, I think think like maybe three at the most. Yeah. Also, I like the term our best ghost. (laughs) You're our best ghost. Well, you would. I know. (laughs) You just wanted to hear one of us say it. Yeah, I was fishing on that one. Meg provides the affirmation. I call you out on the bush. <laughs> <laughs> mm, sometimes we switch. 
<laughs> we do. And sometimes we just both call out the bullshit. It's fine. <laughs> but you're never going to get affirmation from us both at once. No, no. We know what that does to egos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. What's kind of at stake here is this whole concept of how one tiny thing, one little battle that was not that big of a deal in what they've done in the past, you know, all that, that they clearly lost, um, how that can change so many things. Butterfly effect. That's a wild comment to make. What? That Jake left Marco and Rachel to die, but it was kind of not that big of a deal. I, I, I mean, the actual um, mission, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It's yeah. not like they were trying to kill Visitor 3 or, you know, completely take out the York Pole or anything. They were just trying to stop an entrance from opening. We have no idea how many entrances there are. This could have been incredibly minor. That's how you know it's not real. That's how you know it's all in Jake's head. Was you just said Visser Three when when Marco was like, um, yeah, now that I'm Visser Three, and and Jake was like, you mean Visser Two? He's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, there's that. There's you know, Visser something or other. Of- you know how you can tell Tim hasn't read Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. There are all of the incredibly convenient coincidences that Jake remarks on. There is the ID badge that appears when he needs yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Like there are a lot of things in this, and again, this is kind of to Meg's point. Like the timing of this is bizarre. Yeah, that kind of is how the Cassie stuff in Megamorphs Four worked, where like things were kind of off and didn't feel right. Yeah, but it's it, because. Uh, it, I think they didn't mind lining them up because one of them is an alternate reality story and one of them is a dream story. All dreams are alternate realities. Just ask Tommy Westphal. Of course it's all in your head, Harry, but what makes that any less real? Tommy Westphal? Is that the guy that did the room? No. No, I will never reference that, Jackass. (laughs) Okay, cool. Good to know. (laughs) That's the only movie in years that I've had to turn off. Like, I, I know some people think it's, like, fun because it's bad. I couldn't watch it. No, it's just bad. Yeah. And he is a creepy, sexist, sexually assaulting jerk. Anyway. <laughs> um. No, Tommy Westphal is the child who, at the end of St. Elsewhere, the camera pans out from the hospital and pulls out, and you see the entire show took place in this kid's snow globe. Oh, and that's where that... Famously, so many shows have either crossed yeah. over with St. Elsewhere or, like, Six Degrees of Separation style can be linked back through crossovers that, like, 80% of TV sitcoms theoretically exist as parallel universes in the Tommy Westfield-verse. <laughs> that, um... It, it You know how stuff sort of becomes, like, a joke-slash-trope-slash whatever but you don't know exactly where it came from cliche yes that that i had no idea that saying elsewhere was where that originated where else in someone's head that was just for the slow burn Tim put it together no listener can hear the face tim made that was a really really good face (laughs) i want to write a story called saint where else now (laughs) 
Like, the expression was one of, okay, Alex is doing something. What is Alex doing? What is Alex doing? Is it that? It's that, goddammit, it wasn't worth that effort. Anyways, we read an Animorphs book this week. (laughs) We did. So, on what... Here is here is I think the least realistic thing about this uh experimental dark multiverse that has been created for Jake. There's no way he's a rocket scientist. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. is the selling point fine. I will give you that he is having a nightmare about time traveling. He's done no. it too much. Fine. I don't I don't think fine. it's a nightmare. I think it's it's an experiment. I think it's a lab experiment for whatever <laughs> disembodied voice this it's is. It's not him. It's his yerk. Uh, that part, that part never landed for me. It's I mean, like, I guess could that's I really true. have a yerk? No, no, you can't. Like you what? could, but you don't. Tim, I'm really angry. Please don't make me think this is all a dream. <laughs> it is it's not all a dream. dream. But like, like for him to even make that comment, like he just said, I have a yerk. Maybe I have a yerk. And I'm like, that's not, you've had a yerk. You know that's not how that works. Maybe, he but it he is He doesn't Jake. have a yerk in his head, but it's as though he's been inserted to this time where he did have, he has, he has Samuel Beckett slid into, right. jumped into this timeline. But they don't, you don't go into like, yerk coma when you have a yerk. Like, all the people are aware that they're being tortured and it's awful. It's not like he's like, well, got a year, gonna take a nap for, you know, five years, ten years. Well, no, I don't it think it's saying, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe there is a physics of how this happens that is the breakdown here. <laughs> I don't think the implication, Tim, is supposed to be that Jake has lived this timeline and been unconscious. I 100% read this as Jake has woken up and taken the place of himself in this other timeline. Except for uh, that himself is dead. But then he couldn't have taken the place. That's what he was saying. That Tom killed him ten years ago, but now he's a rocket scientist ten years later? I mean, Elemis bullshit. He's taken some. But it's not Elemis bullshit. It's someone it's else's not. bullshit. It's someone else's bullshit, but they're just monkeying around in his mind. Okay, it's Elsimist bullshit. Else- yes, elsewhere mist. Can we just, like, kind of find a compromise? Someone took him in a spaceship... And forced him to have this dream. The spaceship right. of the mind. Oh, here fuck is, you. All right. Here's the compromise I will offer. Which is also to get us a little back on track. Do you know what I thought the twist was going to be? Do you know I thought what I thought this was going to be homaging? What? Are you familiar with the Superman story? I believe written by Warren Ellis for the man who has everything. No. Oh, I think I have it read is, this. Or we've talked about it. There's an episode of the animated series that does it really well. Um, It's this famous Superman story where it is his birthday. And the version I know of it best is the the animated series version. In that version, Batman and Wonder Woman, like, come over to the Fortress of Solitude to bring him presents. And they see that this, like, black flower has, like, wrapped tendrils all around him and has basically got him in a coma. Uh, And it's this flower called the Black Mercy. And for him, 
he is living out this like idealized life that is if Krypton had not exploded, if he had married, it's still basically oh. Lana Lang from Smallville. It's a Jin. Okay, got it. Yeah. But he's living out this life. He's got a kid and he's like, got to buy the reality of it or the reality starts crumbling, but he sees the cracks and starts questioning. Like, that is where I thought this was going to go. That, like, Tom was outside the door to his bedroom and dropped a Black Mercy on him and was, like, trying to feed off psychic energy to see if he was really an anamorph or whatever. That would be some yerk shit that we haven't seen, I guess. No, but that would have been awesome. <laughs> like, I like Devious Tom, who su- su- suspects Jake. I mean, Devious Tom who murders Jake in his sleep? Maybe not that far. Uh, you gotta draw the okay, line somewhere, but Devious Tom. Let's, can we talk about this for a moment? Because we are in book 41, and we have what? Yes. 13. 13, thank you. Left. Uh, is there... Is this foreshadowing? No. I mean, at some point, Tom has to, like... Yeah. So- Put two and two okay, together. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that Tom kills Jake, but like, is Tom going to be the undoing of the Animorphs? Or the, you know, how the Yerks find out? Or if the Yerks find out? You know, is it... I don't know. Anton Chekhov says yes. Yeah. <laughs> is, che- yes, che- fine. Is Tom, Tom the gun? Yeah. <laughs> Tommy gun? No. Ah. Uh... <laughs> no, Tim, I approve of that. <laughs> I don't care for guns, but I like puns. <laughs> okay. Actually, that's the most Alex t-shirt I've ever heard in my life. I don't care for guns, but I like puns. Or like a bumper sticker, maybe? Oh, boy. You can't catch a man with a pun. Yep. So Jake is 10 years older and is 25, so we have confirmation that he's 15 in the books. Yep. Which means that some serious time has passed and we're likely no longer in middle school unless man, we got some serious great problems, <laughs> which we do have some great problems, but man. I mean, the way Marco writes his essays. Yeah. You know, I could see Tom being the reason though. Yeah. I, I could see that like Tom, the Tom thing finally paying off. And I did like, you know how sometimes they write in, and this is not like an animorphs thing. This is just in books in general. They read, write in motivations for mm-hmm. things and you're like meh when i read that tom killed jake because he didn't want to look stupid because he'd been living with him for a long time i was like yeah no that is yep. like the most valid reason that, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 yeah, absolutely like i was like <laughs> like instead of- I, and it's one that would have never entered my brain so that's why it kind of grabbed me pretty it's like oh yeah nope that's how that would have yeah. played out because otherwise you have morph capable bodies that you could jump into instead of just being in a what 17 year old body i don't know how old tom is yeah 17 sounds about yeah. right um instead be a 15 year old who can morph into tigers and shit yeah yeah kill him because visitor 3 is going to kill you otherwise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that is also another one of the contradictions in this brain experiment the idea that Tom has killed him. We hear earlier in the book that Tom had enslaved him and used him to double cross the others. Yeah. Okay. If I just say fine, I buy the fact that this is a dream. Can we stop making that? I don't think it's a dream. <laughs> I think it's very clearly a dream. Ugh. 
We're just going to have to... Okay. In the dream version of this, Jake has killed Visser 3's twin. <laughs> you know in what? The reality <laughs> Speaking of, of Visser 3, where is Visser 3 in this? You realize- He's the emperor. He's emperor. Okay. I missed he that is emperor. He is the That's head of the, the council moment right there where the, the timeline divides, right? Is when either Jake kills uh, second Visser 3 or Cassie kills second Visser 3 or he lives. Like, that's that's the divergent point in this book series. <sighs> okay. That's how you end up with Hydrox timeline. I want the cannoli timeline. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like, but that's the one I want. No, actually... Fuck it. Alternum, our Alternomorphs RPG is the cannoli timeline. There you right. go. Dibs. I like it. I like Fine. it. Jesus. Uh, how did you feel about Jake giving the orders to leave behind Marco and Rachel? I, I mean, what other choice did he have? Like, they were fortunate that it paid off the way that it did. But, like, at some point, you have to look at it and be like, okay, it's two of them or it's all of us. Yeah, I mean, and I that's feel just like the reality at, of it. At this point in the story, it's the choice he would make. Yeah. Like, yeah. especially with. And one of the things I think this book does a really good job of in, I don't know, like 20 pages is very clearly defining where each team member is at right now. Mm -hmm. And with Rachel, like, full-on Berserker just not listening, with Marco trying to pull her out of that, and not knowing if either of them will make it out the door, like, that's absolutely the call I think Jake would make. Jake would know he can't do anything about Rachel in that moment. Yeah. And Jake would know that Marco won't walk away in yeah. that moment. Mm -hmm. And he makes the comment, it's sacrifice to or sacrifice all. Yeah. But I think that this book, being that someone jumps in his head, you can see how, like, yes, he does that. But, man, he's super not okay with it, even if he well, like, doesn't it's... realize how much he's not okay with it. Well, that's what this book is, I yeah. think. This book is a necessary course correction for them not to end up in a worse place. Yeah. Like, Jake needs to remember the humanity of it mm -hmm. and not just the, you know, the general sits in a tent miles away yes. while the soldiers are mm -hmm. on the field. Yeah, which is distance. what he's trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, like, the the just human like day-to-day -day cruelty of ignoring cassie like that's not a jake thing yeah. but that's where he's at in the story and i think those i don't think those things are mutually exclusive but he's going to suffer they'll all suffer if like he doesn't walk back from that apathy uh, but and then a lot of the stuff in the books earlier has been like you know pushing him to be that person Whereas this whole book says, you know what, it's it's okay to be not, you know, not okay with your situation. I don't think that's where the books have been pushing. I don't think I agree with that. Or think... well, let me let me let me whether or not the books have been pushing him that way, he's been receiving it that way. 
you know what I'm saying? Like feeling like he needs to be the one to make the decisive decisions, whether they're. Oh, he definitely know, is that person and has yeah. like that. The books have been pushing that. But it's OK but... to be like not exactly that. You don't have to be like this, like stone. I don't know pillar i guess and you know what i'm it's okay to have emotions related to that whereas the same thing with cassie like you just said him walking away from cassie versus him talking to cassie i think that's two different things the thing i think about in this is was it 31 that was the book where tom was trying to kill their father mm-hmm at the end of 31, there's the bit about... How do y'all remember these numbers? It felt longer ago than 36. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um. It ends with Jake talking about when this is over, when this is done, he will put all this on a chest and be... Leave it behind. Let it be this chapter he doesn't talk about, just like his grandfather and whichever world war it was. Or Korea. I guess it was Korea. Um, Whatever war. I don't think the Jake at the beginning of this book could do that without regret. And I think this is kind of getting him to a point where there could be a life after for Jake again. Not in a... Not in a... The writers have made mistakes and are trying to retcon way. But in a... If we're going into any kind of end game the arc that sees Jake become distant and become calculating out of necessity some of the time kind of needs to come back to him making a value judgment one way or the other. It's like, in that way, I think it makes sense. I think that the big problem with that decision is that they've always been in this together. And yeah, he has to make the hard decisions, but when you start sacrificing yourself or start sacrificing parts or making people on the team feel like that you can sacrifice parts of the team, that's terrifying. And I don't think that the conversation with Cassie at the end, I think is, is a difference. That's just, I don't want to say it's guilt, but I, I think it's just Jake, you know, coming back to his humanity more than anything. I don't think it's necessarily related. I can buy that. Like, I think the common ground is if Jake became the kind of person who could make those sacrifices and not regret it, he wouldn't be able to look Cassie in the eye. But I think that's probably as far as it goes, yeah. Yeah, I know I... Uh, I'm the last person to read this this week, uh, but I definitely called this as the like Cassie is Jake's moral compass book, and I don't know if I necessarily even agree with me saying that. I don't know. I just it it's very this book is very clear and does a really good job, I think, of showing how much one of the animorphs has changed without feeling like their character has been compromised. Yes. Um, which again, probably goes from the fact that she knew these characters a little bit better than our other ghostwriters. Yeah. Um, and it also shows the other Animorphs and how they've changed without feeling like there's a loss of character. 
you know, I mean, Rachel is becoming more and more about the kill and thriving off of that. But it doesn't feel like she's been stripped of everything else necessarily in this book. There's actually something like weirdly reassuring about future Rachel. I mean, people grow up. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of it. Yeah. Like for as much as she bears the strain of this thing, like physically on her body, there is a part of her being just like still in it, but in it in a way that is almost, there's almost like a, like a Leia in the last three star Wars movies vibe where she's sort of back and saying, this is what has to be done. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. But not in a, I'm rushing in head first in a, this is just how it is kind of way. And like, there is something more grown up about that. Yeah. Yeah. It It's not, oh, I was going to say, it's almost as if she and Cassie have switched and in some ways it kind of is, but it's, I don't know. It's not. They, I mean, cause Rachel's not the moral compass or anything like that, but I don't know. It's interesting. This is a time jump that showing the effects of the war in the best way. Yeah. Which I think we've only had one other one. So maybe that's not saying much. The future version who I actually find kind of the most terrifying is Tobias. Looking like his dad. More. But that's more. Of the. I guess doesn't add up stuff because he shows up twice as a bird and then apparently he's an Othlet and a light later. I mean, yes, there is. Jake thinks a couple of times he sees a bird. Yeah. Although I guess it could not have been Tobias, but it did very Tobias-like things. Is that the only animal but, that he sees? I think so. Yeah, he comes into contact twice with that bird. Okay. That not the bird notwithstanding, if we just take the Tobias who we definitely meet, yeah, the idea of circumstance that would push Tobias to saying, "Fuck it, I will give up being a bird and take on the symbol of this war coming to Earth," is kind of horrifying to me. Like there is something about him willfully making that choice that is almost more more sharply changed than any of the others. I mean, even Cassie, where Cassie's at, like, you can see how Cassie would get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see the the series of compromises that would slide into that, or the trauma that would slide into that. And I think you can get some of that for all of them, but with Tobias, I don't know, there's something about just making this conscious choice not to be human, not to be free, but to be a fighter that is, I think, so far from what we normally see of him. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I like it, but it's terrifying. (laughs) There was something about him like I I didn't think about him being an Andalite as terrifying there was something about him and the way he just constantly kept putting that choice in front of 
Jake. That was pretty terrifying. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like that's the other side of it. He's also like Frank to the point of cruel. Frank yeah. to the point of yeah. rubbing Jake's face in everything. Yeah. But honestly, that feels very Tobias. It does. Like that's that's I think the most Tobias part of it. But I think all of it taken together paints this more I don't know, sinister version of him. Yeah. Sinister is a good word. Like, I don't know, if you give me these five future Animorphs, and you ask me, in a void, which one is most likely to become villain? (laughs) Marco's got Visser 3, Visser 2 in his head. But but that notwithstanding, it's, it's this future Tobias who I think is the most likely to break bad. Interesting. So do we want to talk about the futuristic New York City or the shining hope of children? These are good. Oh, I forgot. Other kind of two big plot points. Justice. Um, I do love the the like very very sci-fi dystopia poetry of justice is a child. <laughs> the the best line in the book is Justice would save his friends first. Yeah, that was such bullshit, but (laughs) wonderful bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's so great. (laughs) Also this child who can, like, art so well. It's like the human equivalent of uh, Toby. It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, it probably is, yeah. Yeah. But the whole uh, discussion... In hork Tobias means justice. (laughs) (laughs) The whole discussion of how children are brought up in this uh, Yerk world, I thought was uh, terrifying and really cool at the same time. Yeah. Like, they essentially raise them to be mindless. Yeah. Just physical hosts. Yeah. No education, no nothing. Just robotic bodies. <laughs> oh, and uh, we didn't even touch on that. The um, evolutionist front, like their idea was um, willing symbiotes. Mm-hmm. And all I could think of was like, they built Yerkbots. It's <laughs> exactly what they did. They built Yerkbots and they want to do that instead of have the humans be there. The only like slight thing was that they were like they just kind of pick humans at random to breed and i was like mm, no yorks would definitely like have done the science to breed the best yeah. life yorks would be eugenicists yes yes they would yes, absolutely that's terrifying thank you Alex. yeah but you're yeah, welcome no that is exactly the thought i had just not in those words but that's the, sort uh... of like when you were down in the lower levels you kind of got that vibe that they were doing then I mean, they definitely are. Yeah. Um, and I guess 10 years isn't enough to breed all of that out. That was the other bit of X-Men imagery, the Morlocks. Yeah. Which is, I guess, even then really time machine imagery. <laughs> but I do, I do like, though, the reference to genetically engineered York hosts that are symbiotic because that also calls back to was it 26 
where we go to... Yes, I am nailing it with these Jake books this, <laughs> this week. Y'all just agree with each other. Like, it doesn't matter. He could have said, like, 57, and you're, like, your job is to just say, yeah, that's the one. But well, where we went to the... 57 that doesn't exist, so no. <laughs> also, 57 well, would be a Rachel book. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, man. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be, but that's fine. The, uh... It also calls back the planet of future symbiotic Yerks that we know is like 200 years out. If everything, if they lose the battle. Yeah, like, it shows, though, that even in this dark timeline, like, there is still a way to course correct back to. Sure. (laughs) The sacrifice of humanity, which, I mean, fine. (laughs) It's 2020. Humanity is a little... (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's the point. Like, this is the op- this is as optimistic as I get. It's like a if it could always get worse, it could also always get better. <laughs> the glass exists in a superimposed state of being half full and half empty. Um. So, let's talk about this futuristic city that uh, either Jake made up or someone implanted into his alternative mind i will say like the very first reference point we get is the world trade center and that (laughs) did hit yeah in a strange way especially knowing this is what april of 2000 yep it is april 2000 it is a year and a half before the tower fall uh yeah didn't call that one Guys, I just heard someone in my building sneeze. <laughs> I don't know which neighbor it was, but that just scared the hell out of me. <laughs> it sounded like a dog yipping. Like a little tiny dog yipping. No, no. I, that may have been something else, but no. And someone loudly and boldly sneezed. And I think it was my downstairs neighbor. That's <laughs> <laughs> like the idea of boldly sneezing. I boldly sneeze. To boldly sneeze where no man has sneezed before. <laughs> I kind of want this subway system, though. The pneumatic tubes? Yes. Isn't this a call? Didn't they travel this way in uh, Andalite Chronicles? Uh, Wasn't this how the, like, Taxon homeworld... T- or no, it was book... Was it book seven where we saw the alternate future? Yeah, this is like definitely uh, something that we've already seen because yeah, yeah the Elemis shows it to them. It is book seven. Um, I don't know. I really <laughs> Tim is shaking his head at me. Book seven. I have read like... book seven 20 times. I could probably tell you everything that happened in that book even though we haven't read it in what, two years? Sounds right. Yeah, that is legit my favorite book. There's like a specific, like that's the introduction of the Elmist. People that have this like perfect memory. That is not perfect memory, no. But (laughs) it's only for like numbers in a book series. It's like very specific. If I can tell you the names of 893 goddamn Pokemon, I can pick out the important Animorphs books. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) 
Uh, Yerks also have created brain meds to get their host under control that may or may they not don't work, work though. <laughs> <laughs> that part they made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> They've created placebos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I really like this book because I do feel it is a turning point. It's not just um another which I think also 40. I mean, I think we're just hopefully god I don't know. I feel like all Rachel books are ruined after the twenties, but whatever. Um, but we're hitting a good stride of like shit's changing. Some big stuff's about to go down. We may not know what it is yet, but there is going to hit a point where we can't turn back. Yeah. And no 15 year old child should have to deal with this. No, no. It's like, it's like, uh, Puffs. This is a very dangerous school for an 11-year-old. <laughs> yes. This is a very dangerous war for a 15-year-old. Yeah. You know what this book does feel as somebody who, like, I've, I've never read the book series. I don't know what's, what's going to happen. But it does feel like it's the first step. Like, uh, the references to the war and seeing what Jake thinks would happen after the war is, like, it feels like sort of day one of the war, if that makes sense. Like, yes, we've been fighting them for, you know, 40 books, but it sounds like, you know, it's game one now, Uh, if, if that makes sense. It does, because there is a mention of, like whether or not you think this is really an alternate term timeline or in Jake's head or some mixture of both, there is a m- mention of the tide turning. Yeah. And I mean, sure. We can call it at this point. Um, you know, we I just know, had maybe... Megamorphs four that kind of proved that they were necessary. So it kind of all lines up together that, there's been a big shift maybe recently. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially if you go back to uh Visser and the conversation that has shown up two or three times since then, including again in Megamorphs 4 about whether or not the war could escalate and become no longer covert. Mm-hmm. And like how that affects the timeline and how that happening at different points would affect the outcome like there's a lot of stuff on the table right now that is parts and pieces for the point of no return yeah i guess that is a good thing to point out i mean is this event like are we leading up to visitor three being like hey guys we're here fuck you we've already like started infesting you and now you know line up for your yerk Maybe not that exact thing, but I guess is yeah. this going to become like, is covert the word? Man, I did wait sort of like this morning. like a phase two of this infestation yeah. is gonna you know pop when, off. When do we get the Hell Hydra? Yeah, <laughs> Hell Hydrox. <laughs> Different timeline. <laughs> Speaking of that, I, there was a line about sharing uh 
oh, I can't even remember what it was. It was definitely Marco talking about sharing the body, I guess is probably what it was. Um, and I'm not saying that like, that's me just realizing why it's called the sharing, but it was like a, such a great kind of 10 year arc of like, this is what it's become. This is our motto. This is what we've taken this to be kind of thing. Kind of like, I don't know, just speaking of Hill Hydra, the yeah. word sharing, making my skin crawl. Um, <laughs> did, did anybody else read it to where the evolution, the evolutionist front, it sort of felt like this bizarro sharing, like, like sort of like an anti-sharing. It reminded me of the Yerk, the free Yerk movement. Yeah. Which is still, because we've seen a couple of free Yerk members. Yeah. Yeah. So far. And but like I guess... the idea that they are still peacefully cohabitating. Yeah. I guess that's the whole fundamental behind it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I could see it being an evolution of that, and because yeah. because the world is more dystopian, they too have become more dystopian. But I feel like that's probably the intended callback. Yeah. That makes sense. Hey, who else got a cameo? A, 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 a sort of unreal cameo in this? David? David! Oh, yeah. Yeah, um... Were you expecting any reference to David ever again, Tim? No, but God, did it fit in this book. <laughs> and it themed so well when the little rat comes running by and he's like, David. <laughs> so I guess there was one other animal. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Uh, I guess Jake could feel guilt about David. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he hangs on to a lot of this stuff. I think that sort of became apparent since this was all his dream. I don't think he can shut out the war. I think this is very clear. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, he would have to compartmentalize, which I think is back in 31 kind of the the other side of what he's saying is like the only way to do that at all is to just compartmentalize it as much as he can. But he's not capable of doing it. Though. Yeah. And I think that's the, I think... that's the takeaway here is that no matter how much he thinks he can or how much he's trying to do, it's still there. I think that I mean, that's always the thing about compartmentalizing. This is maybe going back to what I was saying earlier. Like, I think part of the point of the course correction of this book for him as fictional person is the only way he can live with it is if he feels like he's not just doing the thing that wins, but if he's also doing the right thing. And that he needs to put the right thing first more. I mean, ask me again in ten books. I, was about, I mean, like, is that the right thing? I don't know. I, I think it... I the, the What I took from it, and what I was trying to say earlier, is that it's it's not possible... What have we decided? He's 15? He is 15. Yeah. Yes. It's not possible for him to compartmentalize. It's not possible for him to be that that separate entity. And he has to learn how to f- deal with things. I mean... I don't know. I think that was with that's... my urge to just want to fight with you tonight. And just like, <laughs> no, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Everything we're saying, though, does kind of come back to sort of the point of this book, which is war is a nightmare and morality is a fiction within war and it is all 
terrible and it is all trauma and no one should have to deal with it. Like, of course he can't actually compartmentalize it thoroughly. Of course it's gonna fuck him and all of them up. Of course he's gonna have to do shitty things to win. And of course he's gonna regret doing the things he has to do to win, even if he does it as well as possible. Like, that's the whole goddamn point. But narratively. <laughs> Hold on. So so where am I wrong? I don't necessarily think you're, not you're wrong. wrong. It's just, I think, one, I'm just, it's that kind of day for me. I'm just really wanting to be persnickety. But, um, I don't know, like, there are plenty of 15-year-olds that can compartmentalize, I guess, is where I was like, no, that are, totally uh, yeah, uh, is a thing. But also, we are don't there? really, uh, yeah. I I don't yeah, know. I that hella I compartmentalized in middle school and high school. Then yeah. I don't think we're maybe I'm not using compartmentalized correctly. You put it in a box and ignore it and don't talk about it or think about it unless you have to. Yeah. I don't know many people that successfully did that. Um successfully is probably a different argument. And that's uh, the part you... that I'm trying to make. Yeah. yeah. None of us But I don't think but... that necessarily even at the age of mid you know 30s and 40s like that people can still do that like i don't i, I don't think that's necessarily a 15 year old thing yeah, and like the idea of i imagine it's gonna be a lot more difficult for a 15 year old than it is for say someone who's 40 i will say well, this the, sorry alex go ahead you're fine go ahead jake came from a relatively good family like we don't have any background that says that jake didn't just have the very almost stereotypical american upbringing the 2.5 kids the dog all that stuff so it's not like we have that jake had this trauma and had to learn how to compartmentalize or move on or deal with life after this kind of shocking thing and in that way i agree that like jake probably can't do this and we don't really have proof one way or the other that he can um, in these books because we haven't distanced ourselves away from it <clears throat> um but there are i think people that can like i think tobias can mm -hmm. because he had to yeah like the other th the thing to bear in mind about compartmentalizing like in actual psychological terms it's 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 considered a coping strategy, but that doesn't make it an inherently healthy thing. Yeah. Like, it can still have negative impact, and usually still has negative impact. Even to be able to do it effectively, like, that's still but a source of conflict. Isn't that basically what I'm saying? No, th this is what I'm saying. Like, this yeah. is why I laughed and said, like, I just think I'm be feeling argumentative is I don't think you're wrong. But also my first reaction was to be like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I think it's the, the, other... the, the fact that you the way that you presented it was is like as a 15 year old child. That's like, I think the only thing that I actually I don't think you're wrong. I do think that there are 15 year old children that do have the capability. And I think Tobias is one of them. That's all. Yeah. I mean, to that, like, this is certainly true for me, 
I have come from enough place of privilege that I do not really have to compartmentalize things. Often as a coping strategy, it is a response to trauma. It is a response to social pressures to not live a life out or to hold back some part of yourself because of family or environmental circumstances. Like even the idea of code switching in language is a form of compartmentalization. So like some of it's just daily life in certain communities and not phrased typically as compartmentalization, but still, still asking to do the same mental work. Like I think Tobias is a great example for that reason, because Tobias does have to shield himself just to sort of stay alive. Again, I think I'm just being persnickety. That's all. It's not you. It's me. (laughs) I think this is one of those occasions where all three of us are saying 90% of the same thing. And that other 10% that varies is truly just a... Something in our head. Or just a different... Like, each of us looking at it from a different perspective. Each of us hearing one different phrase in it that, like, yes, but also. Again, which I think this book really sets up. (laughs) There's a lot of psychological shit in this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like psychological, and also see this is this is that right? Like you said the thing, and I agree with the thing. But also, like reality is not a given in this book either. Like that makes talking about anything in it more complex because suddenly there is also, yes, but we saw a bird. Or any number of other things. It's a good book, but it's a weird-ass book to talk about. Anything else we want to touch on? Um, Mostly just looking at time. Yeah, Tim. Yes. On page... 11, 12, and 13. Cool, you got it. Yep, yep. just wanted to do a quick check-in there. See, mm-hmm. see, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait. Hold on. I'm assuming you're referencing the word dumpster. Uh-huh. And do you have those pages yes. written down? No. Okay, so your brain doesn't <laughs> yeah. go for animal facts. It goes for yes. the word dumpster. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Tim always knows where the nearest dumpster is. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to animal facts. Alright, uh, so this has been a good week for Animal Facts. I am sitting on three of them right now, in fact. So, I will leave it to you. Door number one. Door number two. Actually, fuck it. We're going with door number one, because it's a funny one, and I think we deserve a funny one now. Uh, I will save the other two for future episodes. I am reading a Gizmodo article. Researchers accidentally got high on laughing gas from penguin poop. Researchers based in Denmark and China were studying the effects of retreating glaciers and the accompanying surge of surge in penguins on greenhouse gas levels on South Georgia Island. It turns out that climate change is kicking off a sort of feedback loop where the influx of penguins leads to more penguin poop and therefore even more greenhouse gases. But it also leads to a hell of a time for scientists breathing in all that nitrous oxide, colloquially known as laughing gas. 
According to Bo Elberling, the author of this study from the Center for Permafrost at the University of Copenhagen, after nosing about in guano for several hours, one goes completely cuckoo. One begins to feel ill and get a headache. That's about all I got. I mean... Nosing about in guano. Yes. That phrase is art, and I expect the Pulitzer for Literature to be (laughs) awarded to it. Penguin poop will get you high. Can we also, just because if COVID's taught me anything that people are idiots, don't go, like, smoking, inhaling, doing anything with Don't go smoking penguin shit. Fine. If singing it Stick to the animal excrement you know. No, don't no. Okay, stop. Disregard all feces. Uh. <laughs> Alright. So we have no new listener questions or reviews or anything, and I have been terrible at remembering to post things on Twitter. It uh, does occur to me we could turn this into a get rich quick scheme by morphing penguins <laughs> to harvest nitrous oxide. To sell to the dental industry. Just putting that one out there. Man, if anything else is going to make me not go to the dentist, it's that I'm inhaling penguin poop. Uh, all right, Tim. Yes. What's going to happen in our next book? It's called The Journey. So they're going to go somewhere. Like I another think, dimension? I, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I think they're going to go to another planet. Uh, one that they haven't been to before. Now, Tim. Yes. You're thinking of something in outer space. Yes. But. Okay, they're going to go inside uh, Martin Short. Oh, you're getting closer. <laughs> You've got the first three letters. How does one often describe a journey? Incredible? Oh, wait, no, that's dogs going home. The Fantastic Voyage is what I was going for. Whoops. Wait, the, 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 oh, the Fantastic Voyage. Okay. Yeah. So they are going inside a body. Yeah. Inner space. Instead of outer space, it's inner space. That was what I meant, Martin Short. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I said you had the first three letters right. They go inside of M-A-R. Oh, they're going inside Marco? (laughs) Oh, that's what you And there's the payoff for listening through this whole episode. No, you know what? You said uh, the first three letters. I was like, I-N-N. The whole time I was thinking (laughs) of the first three letters of inner space. And I was like, in? What? They're going to stay at a hotel? Like, they're going to go on a quest. Yes. The Anwarfs have decided what they really need for an edge in in victory is to stay at the Holiday Inn. Yes. So, okay. Alex walked you to that. Give me a prediction as to why they're going into Marco. Uh, because they have to fight off some sort of virus or bacteria. Isn't that the only reason you ever go inside somebody? Is it the only reason you go by inside? I can't oh. think of another no. reason. You can't think you of another go. reason. Okay, that's fine. We've Okay, Tim, I have spent how many months planting the idea of Axis Vor thing in your mind? And you can't oh, get there? Oh my god. <laughs> it's all been leading up to this. So it turns out the Cinnabons were inside Marco all the, all along. No, stop it. <laughs> I hate you guys. This is why I get persnickety. 
don't use that word right at all. I'm just like button satisfies annoyance that I have at the moment, but it's not how I'm in the entire episode. Um, no, I yeah, the mind wiping thing. Like I don't know if it's a Men in Black one or what other sci-fi so, thing to get that shit out of everyone's head. So okay, there's also this one that. Jake is going to propose to Cassie. And then Cassie, when he proposes, she freaks out and slaps the ring out of his hand. <laughs> and and Marco like... Marco ends up swallowing it. And then Jake st- puts it in a glass of champagne and Marco <laughs> just comes in and drinks the champagne. So but they, they don't have time to wait for nature to take its course. So they have to go inside Marco to get the ring. You know what? I will. I appreciate that. We will take that. As and after they get the ring, Cassie makes them throw it into the fires of Mount Doom because yes. she knows where it has been. <laughs> usually, I, I think in most sitcoms, it's usually a dog that does it, and they have to chase the dog around for two days and wait for it to poop. Marco could be morphed into a dog when he does it. This is true. This is true. <laughs> um. I don't know how tongue-in-cheek you're being, but now I have to ask, do you think Jake is going to propose in this series? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, maybe if they turned 25. But seeing as how that was all a dream in Jake's head. Jesus Christ. All right. Hugs, guys. What you got going on? What's going um, on in the world? Well... There is the Rob Thomas No Not That One Robcast where we just talked about Drive Me Crazy. Seminal Melissa Joan Hart Adrian Grenier, however it's pronounced. So it's not an entire Uh, therapy session of you uh, telling Frankie how you drive me crazy. No. I think that would be more (laughs) therapy session for you than for me. (laughs) That's valid. Um, Grenier. I don't know. How do you say it? Gren- Grenier? It's either Grenier, Grenier or Grenier. Yeah. Grenadier? Greninja. One of those Grenadier. 900 or 893 Pokemon I can name. <laughs> Grenadine. Um, also, Panelology. Yeah. See beginning of this episode. Maybe. <laughs> Otherwise... See future episode, hopefully. You know what? However that joke plays out, I'm going to think it's very funny when I go back and listen to this episode. <laughs> Tim, you got anything going on? No. Okay. Meg, how about you? <laughs> sure. Uh, I was just on Panelology. Uh, when this comes out, it'll have been last week's episode, talking about Paper Girls. Heck yeah. Uh, when this comes out, my episode, um, six, I think is out mostly because I don't remember how this releases compared to the, uh, media evil podcast, but yeah, I'm on there talking about six, the musical media evil is the best podcast name ever. Uh, thank you. I was waiting for that. Um, I got some other shit going on. I don't think any of it's coming out anytime soon. I think it's still a few weeks away. But yeah, I'm really bored. And thus people are having me come on and talk on their podcast. <laughs> what else are we going to do in quarantine? Yeah. So, okay. 
We'd like to thank Red Sphinx for our show art. You can check out more of their work by supporting their Patreon or visiting Chaos Does Art on Instagram. If you're interested in getting some cool arts, email red at c.spinks.animator at gmail.com. Also want to point out that the cover artist of the Animorphs series is currently selling signed prints of the Animorphs covers on uh, his website and on an Etsy store. Oh, nice. Just in case you're wondering. We should tweet a link to that. Uh, we can, sure. Uh, peep our social needs. We're at Minds at Yerk on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to send us questions, comments, or love letters, you can email us at mindsatyerk at gmail.com. Our website is mindsatyerk.com. Spell Yerk, Y-E-E-R-K. If you like us and want to help us out, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And we are available on all of your podcatcher choices. Uh, Alex. Say when. When. They seem to grow stronger every day, the Andalite commented. All right. I've been Megan. I was Alex. And I was Tim. And until then, we fight.